You may be seated. Felt a little different as we were Friday night. We had the official installation service in Kenai for Pastor um, and Sister Rodney Wicker. And then yesterday, leaving the peninsula, and I texted Pastor Herring. I said, we're on our way home. Yeah. <laughs> felt a little different, but it felt good. I kind of got that fuzzy feeling. You know? Amen. And thank you for uh, just welcoming my wife and I and our family, you are so very, very good. We thank you immensely. Uh, I had a dream some time ago, and uh, my wife and I had made it to the ripe old age of 85. We'd been married for over 60 years, and through those years, we were far from rich, but we managed to get by because we watched our pennies. We were in good health because my wife, because of my wife's insistence on healthy foods and exercise. But in my dream, we were in a plane crash, went straight to heaven. Reached the pearly gates. Peter escorted us inside. Took us to a beautiful mansion, furnished in gold, fully stocked kitchen, waterfall in the master bath. I asked Peter, how much is this going to cost? Peter said, why nothing? Remember, this is your reward in heaven. And then I looked out the window and saw a championship gold golf course, finer, more beautiful than anything ever built on earth. So I asked, what are the green fees there? Again, Peter said, this is heaven. You can play for free every day. Went to the clubhouse and saw a large buffet lunch set out. Every imaginable food seafood, steaks, exotic desserts. And I looked at Peter, and he said, don't even ask. This is heaven. It's all free for you to enjoy. So I looked around and glanced nervously at my wife and said, well, where are all those low-fat and low-cholesterol foods and the decaffeinated tea? Peter said, that's the best part. You can eat and drink as much as you like of whatever you want. You'll never get fat. You'll never get sick. This is, this is heaven. All you do here, just enjoy yourself. And at that point, I glared down at my wife and said, you, with all this healthy eating and exercise, we could have been here 10 years ago. Uh -uh. 
like the two guys that got in the discussion one day if there was going to be baseball in heaven. And they had their differing opinions, and so they made a pact that whoever died first would come back and tell the other one. And so one of them died, and his buddy waited patiently for a number of nights, and the other guy didn't show up, so he kind of forgot about it. And a couple, uh, couple months later, he wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's his friend standing at the foot of the bed. They talked a little. He said, well, is there, is there baseball in heaven? He said, yeah, and you're pitching tomorrow. want to go to heaven. Amen. Praise God. I'd like to speak today, today on the subject of not many fathers. Not many fathers. Um, he was alone. He was probably a little disheartened and discouraged by the unfruitfulness of the time he had spent in Athens, though as far as I'm concerned, he preached one of his greatest messages there. But Paul boards a ship and he sails to Corinth. Now, if I just put a blank map up here and asked you to come up and point out Corinth, how many could do it? My wife could. That didn't surprise me. She can do anything. It took about five hours as the ship traveled across and then drops anchor in the bright blue waters of the Saronic Bay. Under the pine woods, the low green hills of Centuria. A walk of about eight miles brings Paul to the city of Corinth. There it was nestled under the huge mass of its citadel that flung its dark shadow over the city and its double seas. You see, where Corinth is located, just to the north is a bay just to the south is a bay with a land channel in between over which large ships were dragged to avoid the circumnavigation of Cape Malaya. And so the town uh, became a very, very important town. It was called the Bridge of the Sea. Jews flocked to it for trade. Phoenicians came for commerce. Romans came in order to visit a famous place to buy antiquities, genuine or spurious, for the Roman market. And men of pleasure by the droves came to avail themselves to the immorality for which Corinth soon became infamous. But Greeks 
Greeks far more than anyone else. They came in large numbers because of the renowned Ismanian games. And it was the Greeks who stamped their own character upon the majority of the inhabitants. They became proverbial for litigious shrewdness, intellectual restlessness, and above all, sensual indulgence. So the mixture of classes and nationalities and a large seaport and emporium of commerce produces inevitably a very unfavorable effect. Corinth soon becomes known as the star of Hellas. And the emporium of half the world became known as the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. And so into this city of not 10,000, not 50,000, or 100, but into this city of Corinth of over 600,000 people. Seething masses of Jews, merchants, philosophers, ex-soldiers, retailers, agents of vice. The lonely and suffering apostle comes. And putting his personal feelings aside, I'm sure the enemy was there constantly. Well, what did you accomplish in Athens? Putting it all aside, Paul digs out by himself. UPC had a program years ago of tent makers. Men would go and start churches in towns, and three or four good families would go with them called them tent makers to help him. Paul didn't have any tent makers. <laughs> In fact, Paul worked by his, with his hands as a tent maker. But he digs out this church. 18 months, year and a half he spends in Corinth at first. And Paul falls in love with this Corinthian church, with intense affection, even though, stop and think of it, <laughs> even though in all the other churches he started, he never had to deal with any church that was so inflated, so immoral, so indifferent to his sufferings, so contemptuous toward his teachings, and on the other hand, so tolerant of the opposition of his personal enemies. But it didn't matter to Paul. Because he fell in love. He fell in love. What do you argue against love? There is no argument. Years ago in Delaware... We had a sweet, sweet lady in our church with, I don't know, four or five children. Excuse me, her husband was a jerk. 
you know, what you made reference to. He'd come home long enough to get her pregnant, and then I remember pulling into Dairy Queen one evening with our children, and here he is on his Harley with a, another woman in the back, and the perplexed looks that came across our kid's face. I called her in the office as we assisted brother and sister Trout. I said, why? Why do you put up with this guy? Why? And, and I talked and talked, and suddenly big old tears started trickling down her cheeks. And, I mean, I was getting wound up. And she was agreeing with everything I said. Then she looked, and she said, but brother Churchill, I love him. Conversation. He loved them. Yes, they hurt him. Yes, there were problems. But friend, when it's covered with love, you can work through it if it's covered with love. Paul leaves. Corinthians get in touch with him by letter, apparently. And the letter reveals some very genuine, perplexing problems that are being faced by the fledgling church. They were asking him many questions. Questions about marriage, questions about celibacy, questions about second marriages, mixed marriages. They were seeking direction for the bitter disputes that had arisen between the strong and the weak over the question of eating meats offered to idols. They had difficulties about the relative value of spiritual gifts, the way to be, for them to be relegated, especially the phenomena of speaking in other tongues in public worship number of other things I don't have the time to mention here, but it was under these almost heart-rending circumstances that Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians. And today on Father's Day, I bring to your attention 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, I write not these things to shame you. But as my beloved sons, I warn, I admonish you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers, be ye imitators of me. Now the subject of these words is spiritual paternity. Yes, Pastor Harry. Mr. Webster simply gives the definition of the word father as simply a male parent. A male parent. 
And that's probably what most people think about when you hear the word. But the spiritual meaning goes much, much deeper than that. Stop and consider with me here that one man may become the spiritual father of another. Hallelujah. And I ask you, what is it to become the spiritual father of another? As I pondered and thought about that, I thought it has to be something more than to become the father of one's ideas. Many children have their thoughts and their ideas because that's what their parents' thoughts and ideas were. But it's got to be more than that. There are men throughout society gifted with the intellectual ability and the vigor that enables them to generate leading ideas in the minds of their contemporaries. How do they do it? They simply do it by their conversation, by by making speeches and their writings. But these are not spiritual fathers. They are merely schoolmasters or teachers. There has to be something more than the author of a certain style of thinking. There are men in society who not only generate leading thoughts in the minds of their contemporaries, but what is perhaps something even higher, uh, they generate a style of thinking. A style characterized by precision and, and freshness and force. And I think of the great philosophers of the past, Aristotle, Plato, Bacon, along with modern philosophers such as Simon Blackburn and, and Robert Brandon and Judith Butler. But I'm telling you, a spiritual father is one who is the father of a man's moral character. One who generates in another his own spirit, his own sympathies, his own aims, his own desires. One who transfers to the other the character of another into his own image. Oh, you have many instructors in Christ, but there are not many fathers. Oh, there are a lot of instructors out there and you can hear them wherever you turn, but I'm telling you today, amen, in Christendom, there are not many fathers. There are not many, amen, that are trying to reproduce in somebody else the character, amen, the ideals of not just them, but Jesus Christ. The apostle said, follow me. Follow me as I follow, as I follow Christ. Oh, there's a lot out there that have a lot of followers, but I'm telling you, they're not leading to Jesus Christ. Amen. They're leading to fables. They're leading to philosophies. They're leading to men's own thinking. But I want to follow somebody, amen, that is following Jesus Christ. Somebody that is drawing me closer. Somebody that is drawing me nearer to the Lord and Savior.
told Pastor Herring, I know it's only been a short while since you buried your dad, huh? A year in April. So that, that wound is still fresh. <laughs> and, and just about the time you think it's starting to scab over and heal, you know, a, a smell or, or a sound, a, a, a sight, a, and the scab is ripped away and it's all fresh again. Thirty-four years ago in August, came running into our home in Kenine. I was running late for a dental appointment. And I was dressed in scrubby clothes. I said, honey, I said, I'm going to change. I, I got to get to the dentist. She said, well, I need to talk to you first. I said, honey, I, I'm going to be late for my dental appointment. We can she said, I need to talk to you, Stuart. I sat down. I said, well, what is it? Tears filled her eyes, and she said, your brother Jim just called, and your dad's passed away. <laughs> How do you prepare yourself for that, something like that, Pastor? It's one thing if, you know, they're terminally sick, and you know it's coming, but to, to just, your dad passed away. He, he was doing fine, and he's gone. And just the other day, like I said, it'd be 34 years in August. Just the other day, I just got this deep, deep longing. Dad, I wish I could sit down just one more time. Kids, hear me. I just listened to that song the other day, The, the Cat in the Cradle, you know. How many are familiar with that? And I'm telling you, it just smote me. Kids, I don't care how busy you get. I don't care what your schedule's like. You make sure you put time in that schedule to spend time with mom and dad while they're here. Oh, it's nice to say the nice things when they're gone, but you need to say the nice things that they can hear it. I wish I'd have told my dad more. Dad, you're my favorite preacher, Dad. I had to wait until he was dead till I really realized the significance of his ministry in my life. Leads me to my second thought. That is the noblest spiritual father is the one who begets in another the character of Christ. There are many moral characters prevalent among men speak of the sensual and the skeptic and the selfish but the Christ-like character stands in sublime contrast to these it is by no means selfish it is spiritual it's divine the man who generates in others this type of character imparts the highest good the greatest thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do is lead some man, amen, to be more like Jesus Christ, to create in them a desire. I see something in you that I want more of. And I know it's not just you. I know it's the Christ that you serve. And so can you lead me? Can you draw me closer that I can have a closer relationship? Relationship. 
My Heavenly Father, in the character of Christ is harmony. In the character of Christ is gentleness. And above all, there is love. Go a few more chapters. Can anybody tell me what 1 Corinthians 13 deals with? The love chapter. I mean, this man, I mean, he could, his eyes blazing, he could tell it like it was. He could put you in your place just like that. But again, amen, it was all done in love. Oh, I feel God here. Did not Jesus himself say, by this shall all men know you're my disciples? Amen. By your love one for another. If you don't love everyone in this place, if you are a part of our family at Palmer Pentecostal Church, uh, and you walk in and see somebody sitting here, and you go over here to sit so you don't have to contact, something is wrong. Uh, amen. We're brothers and sisters. Uh, I had my squabbles. I had my fights with my brothers and sisters. But at the end of the day, we loved one another. Even the world realizes that fact. Please, Pastor, forgive me for bringing a past, very popular, worldly song to the pulpit. But I would say quite a few people here could sing around, along with me. What the world now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. What a message here in this song, brother. I'm here. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. The world needs love, friends. I'm glad for the efforts putting by, amen, to bring about peace. But there's never going to be any real peace, amen, until people begin to realize, I've got to love my brother. <laughs> I've got to love my sister. Praise God. Amen. I said I've got to. Amen. Hallelujah. And brother, it doesn't matter that this skin is white and your skin is black. Inside we're the same. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for the Indian. He died for the native. Hallelujah. And we have got to come, amen, and realize, hey, I can overlook your faults and your failures if I can love you. The world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. I mean, even the devil knows it. <laughs> and he's detoured the majority of people into thinking that lust is love.
get people thinking. Love can be found in a number of places, such as bars and nightclubs. But you hear this preacher this morning, the only place you're going to find true, real love is in the loving arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love. He so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. He robed himself in flesh. Amen. Came in the pattern of you and me. Live this life. Put away your sword. Don't you know that I can pray my father and in the snap of a finger I could have legions of angels. Trust and pray you don't only read of the Lord's last few days just at Good Friday and Easter time, but regularly realize that when they tied his hands to that post, stripped his garment from him, and that Roman burly Roman soldier took a cat of nine tails and embedded in the ends of those leather pieces were bits of glass and stone and sharp objects so that when the whip fell he just didn't go up there and very gently disengage no he ripped that away and so there were strips of flesh those nine tails wrap around his back into his chest and a friend when that scourging was done you could you could see his ribs and then they played a crown of thorns on his head not just I'm told anywhere from an inch and a half to two inches long they shoved it down and some of those thorns went down into his brow and came out the side. Hey, friend, friend, this isn't just another man. This is the God that said, let there be light. This is the God that spoke it all into existence. What, what kept him at that post? It was love. Amen. What hung him on the cross were not three nails. It was love. So to be like Christ is the highest end of being. The man who generates this character in others creates, please get this now, the man who generates the character of Christ in others creates the highest mutual affection, far deeper far more, more profound between the spiritual father and his offspring than even that which exists between the physical. Jesus recognized this when he wrote, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Paul called Timothy his beloved son. 
In other places, he speaks with loving tenderness of his converts as his little children with whom he travailed in birth, Galatians 4.10. Remember a few minutes ago I said there are men throughout society gifted with the intellectual ability, enables them to generate leading ideas into the minds of other people. I had a friend that just visited Europe and Germany. He said, Pastor Churchill, walking through, what was that last camp that Auschwitz? He said, it's just mind-boggling that by cattle car, they brought the people in by thousands and millions. So stuffed into those cattle cars, they couldn't lie down. They, they were shoulder to shoulder and stood for hours. I read where there was a Lutheran church by the railroad tracks. And they'd hear the train coming. And as the train, amen, got close, they could hear the screams and the hollerings of the people in the cattle cars. Uh, and so, not long after that, when they heard the train, uh, the pipe organ would go off. Uh, and they'd start singing as loud as they could to prevent them from hearing the screams of these people. How does that happen? How did... An Austrian painter get to the point where he could sway millions of people to do the worst deeds, bringing them into rooms where they thought they were going to shower, and instead out of the nozzle comes the gas, and then the, the furnaces. Joseph Stalin, Mussolini, we all are aware of them. People who through words projected their ideas, their thoughts, their philosophies. I am not, please, I am not downgrading Well, this Christ-like character is not begotten in you by this man standing in this pulpit faithfully, service after service, and those that help. This Christ-like character is only begotten. Only. Everybody say only begotten. It is only begotten in others by the gospel of Christ. Please note, Paul ends this 15th verse with these words. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Religion per se cannot do it. Judaism cannot do it. 
Mohammedism definitely cannot do it. Humanism cannot do it. There are no speculative creeds or moral codes or rituals that can ever do it. Paul says it so well, Pastor, in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of what? Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why, Paul? Because it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the truth. Hallelujah. The gospel alone is the only power to generate in man the true character of Christ. It is that transformative glass into which we all look and we get changed into the same image from glory to glory. I know it's a big day. Probably have plans. I trust family plans with Father. Spoil him today. Would you do that? Amen. Amen. Well, you need to spoil him every day. I mean, Sarah called Abraham Lord. Sister Churchill. closing, I tell you that there are in the church of Christ today those who can be designated as spiritual fathers. At Corinth, the Apostle Paul occupied preeminently honorable and influential position. He claims in this passage that we just read to have been what the history book of Acts shows us that he really was. What was that? He was the planter of the vineyard. He was the founder of the edifice. He was the father of the family. It was by his labors. It was by his bravery. It was by his perseverance that the Corinthian church came into existence. I know in the highest sense, God is Father himself who gives the spirit of adoption to all his people. But instrumentally, this apostle was blessed by God through the preaching of the gospel to the begetting, to the birth of this congregation, this spiritual household. I never got to meet was his name Joe, Joe Bean? Never got to meet him. The founder of this church. Pastor Herring thinks back in 1967. Soon to be 51 years. When we in 1984, of June of 1984, drove down this highway, how pleasantly surprised I saw a sign for, I think it was Palmer United Pentecostal Church at that time, I don't know. And 
they were in the process of building the old building. And I pulled the bus in, and I got down, and there was Pastor Al Starr working, laboring to build that edifice. Thank you, Brother Bean. Thank you. You know what? Now, if I'm out of line, Pastor, you pull my post. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing, you know, to, to get a thank you card. Find out Al Starr's address. Say, thank you, Brother Starr. I appreciate the labor. Brother Henderson. Brother O'Connor. I thank God for their labors. But in talking the other night, I think there's just maybe one or two or three that are still here from that congregation. Look around you. There's more than two or three sitting here today. This relationship involved the obligation on their part to reverence, to honor, obey with grateful hearts, to love and rejoice in one to whom they were under God so immeasurably indebted. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. This was a unique position with regard to them. No one could claim to stand in the same relationship. Not Apollos, not Peter, not anyone could stand in the same relationship as the Apostle Paul stood with the Corinthian church. You hear me today. Amen. I said nobody could stand where he was standing. And can I tell you today that nobody can stand, amen, shoulder to shoulder with Pastor Ron and Cindy Herring, amen, and the years of labor, in the toil, in the sweat. I told the church in Kenai Friday, I said there are spiritual battles fought by a shepherd uh, that the sheep never know about. Uh, they're never aware of it, uh, of the hours of spiritual battle uh, that a man does uh, to protect his sheep. There are still those that are honored by the calling of God to this spiritual fatherhood. He tells me, who's your pastor? I am. Okay. Is it okay if I take some pastoral authority and have Pastor Herring and Sister Herring to come and stand down here this morning, please? Please, please, come on. Obey your pastor. Obey your pastor. This is eating his lunch. <laughs> Come on, right down here. Sister Herring, where are you? Come. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, Colby, Ellis, Stuart, 
my daughter Kim, my wife, I know they love me. I know it beyond any shadow of a doubt. So I called them together not long ago and said, you know what, you don't have to tell me you love me anymore. No, yeah, not too well. I know they love me, but these ears and this heart loves to hear and feel. Papa, I love you. Amen. Kim just turned 45. I love those 45-year-old arms to go around my neck, say, Dad, I love you. Soon to be 51 years with my wife, and I never tire of her saying, I love you. Now, I know it. And you might think here today, they know I love them. But I think this would be a good day starting over on this side. Amen. Start to make a line over here. Come on. Come on. And I want each of you to come by and shake your pastor's hand and his wife's hand and reassure them again. Pastor, I love you. Sister Herring, I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. 